Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted to have you back again for lesson number six. We are taking a look this week at He Died for Us, a very significant subject as we continue our journey through the subject of death, dying, and the future hope. Our guest with us again this week is the author of the Sabbath School lesson, Dr. Alberto Tim. He's an associate director of the Ellen G. White Estate. Alberto, welcome back. It's an honor to be with you during this series. So we're moving our way through it, learning new things each time that we come together. And I wanted to, to, I wanted to make reference as we begin this week to something that you describe, a, a story that you tell in the companion book to the Sabbath School lesson. You talk about a lecture that a Swiss theologian by the name of Oscar Kuhlmann presented at Harvard University. He was talking about the immortality of the soul and the resurrection. Can you expound on this story just a little bit? Because it's a fascinating story. Actually, Oscar Kuhlmann and I have a copy of the book here. Uh, the book form, they published it in the Harvard Review and also uh, elsewhere. There are several editions to it. But he starts his book in a, or his lecture at that time, and it's the beginning of his book also contrasting um, the death of Christ and Socrates. And here you find, in his view, probably the best way to understand the contrast between Greek philosophy and the uh, uh, anthropology of Greek philosophy, how they understand a human being and death, uh, is this contrast between the two. When Socrates was uh, to be to drink the poison that he did to to die, uh, he did it in a very peaceful and serene way, because for him that was actually a friend to be welcomed and not an enemy. Because for the philosophers, including Socrates, they thought that. Uh, the body was just the prison of the soul. And he, as a philosopher, would really go to paradise or whatever, to an upper stage of life. So he drank it in a very peaceful way because that would liberate the soul, give the soul freedom to go to that uh, world of the ideas, uh, away from the prison of his body. But for Jesus, that was not a friend to be welcomed, was actually an enemy, the last enemy to be conquered. And Jesus really, uh, in Gethsemane, and even said, my soul is exceedingly uh, sorrowful, even to the dead, because he was in agony. What a contrast between the two models. But in reality, Jesus conquered that. And this is the good news that we have. But let me just add a, a point. Oscar Kuhlmann, in, in his lecture, made it very clear that there is no way to harmonize the philosophical, the Greek philosophical concept of the immortal soul with the New Testament teaching of the resurrection of the, ba the body. Either the soul is immortal and there is no resurrection or there is a bodily resurrection and the soul is not immortal. 
And from his perspective, the New Testament teaches really the resurrection of the body as the hope for the Christian, the Christian hope, and not natural immortality of the soul as the Greek philosophers thought. So very, very insightful story, and uh, and the conclusions that he comes to, I think, is a, is a very positive one, a very biblical one. I, I want to go back to to build on something that we looked at a few weeks ago, and we looked at, at death occurring in the Old Testament and, uh, and the significance of it. What, what, about, what about some of those sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament? We looked back at Genesis 3.15 a few weeks ago, uh, how the, the serpent's head would be wounded and the, the seed of the woman's heel would be wounded, that, that proto-evangelium, as it's sometimes called, that, that first glimpse at Jesus the Messiah and the plan of salvation. How did sacrifices in the Old Testament foreshadow uh, Christ's death on the cross? How are those two linked together? Many people are afraid or do not like very much the references to the, in the Old Testament to animal sacrifices because they say, well, there is too much blood in the Old Testament, and I prefer the New Testament is more love and not so much justice as the, the Old Testament. But remember, each one of the human beings since the fall of Adam and, and Eve had really a death sentence on them. And uh, in this case, they should die, but God's mercy allowed an animal to die in place of human beings. So every single sacrifice, bodily sacrifice, offered according to God's plan, because there were pagan sacrifices also that did not count. But the ones that followed the biblical pattern established by God, they foreshadowed the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. But let me just add another point. Some people say, as I told you, that the Old Testament is just based on justice in the New Testament uh, or judgment in the New Testament in love and mercy. But Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 says exactly the opposite. In the Old Testament, God was very merciful. But the fullness of God's justice was revealed not to the sacri- uh, through the sacrifices of the Old Testament, as many as they were, but in the cross where Jesus died as the Lamb of God, not for his own sake, but for all human beings. So his sacrifice is available to all, for those who will accept it and be saved, but it is available even to those who will be punished and they will be uh, that who do not accept Christ as a Lamb of God. You make an important point here that that salvation is available to everybody, and those who receive it, those who accept it by faith, are going to be ones who, who receive it. The memory text for this week is, I think, a significant one. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then, of course, the following verse is John 3.16, probably the most frequently quoted verse in the Bible. What about that serpent that was lifted up by Moses in the wilderness? How did that give us a picture 
of Jesus and what significance? What, what are the parallels there? Actually, the serpent is a, is a symbol of sin, of evil. And that, uh, you remember that when there was that kind of plague there in the wilderness and uh, many people were dying with a serpent, God asked uh, Moses to, to make a serpent there of bronze, of metal there, and looking to it, they would have, uh, uh, they would be healed. It's interesting that this symbol uh, is, the, is a way of, illustration, uh, of illustrating that uh, Jesus would take our plan, our sins, not that he became sinful as such, but he took over him our sins. And that is a remarkable illustration of what Christ did for us. And there is another passage in John chapter 12, where he says, And when I will be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to me. Or attract. And in the book Steps to Christ by Ellen White, and I like very much that statement, where she expands a little bit on this expression, she says that uh, to the sinner, all that it takes is a glimpse of the cross, and he, if he does not resist, he will be drawn in. Uh, uh, repentance at the foot of the cross. So in other words, is not I that go to the cross begging for forgiveness and salvation, saying, Lord, please, maybe you can have, um, uh, give me a chance, something like that. No, he takes the initiative and the cross has that kind of attraction drawing us to, to us. And if we don't resist, God's mercy will transform us. And this is the beauty of this, uh, this symbol. Thanks for, for clarifying that. It makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, I want to read another verse now and, and give you an opportunity to respond to it. We've been talking about sacrifices in the Old Testament. And, in, and yet in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 4, is a very fascinating statement. Hebrews 10, 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So if the blood of bulls and goats, all those sacrifices, doesn't take away the sin, then what's the point of all the sacrifices? Yeah, and you you could even add to your question, Eric, the idea that even Moses, Enoch, and Elijah were in heaven already. And and in this case, well, there are many ways of uh, understanding it, but I prefer uh, to compare it with a credit card. The credit card, you make an actual payment with it. And so, the person, the store or whoever, or in the internet, they receive the payment for it. But actually, the payment becomes effective under the condition that later on that I pay my credit card bill. If I don't pay, then it's a disaster. In this case, people in the Old Testament, including Moses and Enoch and Elijah, they were actually saved. But salvation in the Old Testament, although it was, com- it was complete and effective, so it was not something that was, well, let's say we pretend, no, it was effective, but it was dependent on the payment of the price for God's justice offered 
that Friday on the cross of Calvary. And by the grace of God, he made that payment, and he made the payment in full, and he continues to be there to, uh, to minister to us and to encourage us in the life that we live. And we look at the world that we live in right now, and it's got a lot of pain, it's got a lot of sorrow, and unfortunately, it's got a lot of death, dying, and sometimes not a lot of future hope, or at least not for a lot of people. But this quarter is all about that. It's about the future hope and understanding the hope that we do have when it involves death and dying. If you've been enjoying this quarter's lessons and we're, we're making our way through the quarter, we're about halfway through, maybe not quite halfway through right now. But if you want to dig into it more and get more out of it and understand it better, I want to encourage you to pick up the companion book to this quarter's lesson. It's called On Death, Dying, and the Future Hope by author Alberto Tim. He, of course, is our guest here each week on Sabbath School. And he goes into more detail, gives additional insight into the subjects that we are looking at during the course of this quarter, during these 14 lessons. So if you want to understand it better, or if you know someone else who has a misunderstanding of the subject, and you want to help them see more clearly the hope that there is in Jesus, I want to encourage you to pick that book up. You'll find it at itiswritten.shop. Again, it's called On Death, Dying, and the Future Hope. We'll be back in just a moment as we continue our study. See you in just a moment. Join me on It Is Written for one of the great chapters of the Bible, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah has been called the gospel prophet because how he repeatedly brings Jesus to light throughout the book of Isaiah. And there's no chapter in the book of Isaiah where he does that more than Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 has been quoted in the New Testament numerous times. And you see why when you study God's word and focus on Isaiah chapter 53. It's about Jesus Christ, crucified, the one who died for the sins of the world, the Jesus that you and I know is coming back to this world to take us home. Don't miss great chapters of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 53, you will be moved, you'll be blessed, and you will be encouraged in faith in God. Great chapters of the Bible, Isaiah 53. Watch now on It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We are taking a look at Christ's death for us this week. And Alberto, I want to I want to drill down on something or, or, or look into something. The Bible talks about the cross as an altar. How is the cross an altar? What is the significance of that, and what type of an altar does it represent? Actually, this is a, a typological expression, or in other words, you have the types or symbols of the Old Testament. Sacrifices during Old Testament uh, times were offered on altars made of stones. And so the animal was put over there as a sacrifice. In probably the most meaningful sacrifice of the Old Testament was the animal that was offered replacing Isaac when Abraham went to, to, the, to fulfill God's requirements over there. So uh, he, uh, Isaac should be offered as a sacrifice 
But then God himself provided a substitute, another animal to be offered over there. So this idea of substitution is very meaningful in regard to to the sacrifices. And at the cross, Christ offered himself in our place. But uh, some people struggle about who offered him. Were the Roman soldiers who really nailed him to the cross or so? At the cross, Christ was not only a sacrifice, but he was a priest. He offered himself for our sins. So it's interesting, this combination, because usually in the Old Testament, usually not always in the Old Testament, the priest offered another sacrifice, never himself or herself, himself, better saying. But in this case, you will see immediately that Jesus is both of them. And so a priest offering himself, and this is unique in fulfillment of all the sacrifices to of the Old Testament as a sacrifice of law for all humanity. A beautiful picture of Christ's love for us and his willingness to sacrifice himself. Now, on Tuesday's lesson, it's, it's a short title of the lesson. In fact, it's just three words, but there's a lot of meaning in those three words. It's, it's a quote from John chapter 19, verse number 30, which says, It is finished. Okay, so the question is, when Jesus died on the cross, what was finished? And I guess as an extension question, what wasn't finished? What what was accomplished on the cross and what still, if everything is finished, well, let me put it this way, if everything is finished on the cross, why are we still here? Maybe that's another way of asking the question. Explain it is finished. Actually, this is a very meaningful uh, uh, statement. You have heard about this, that there are seven statements Jesus made from the cross. But probably this was the most meaningful, the most most significant. I like the expression that Ellen White uses, that the life of Jesus was a a preface to his uh, death on the cross. And there is an old uh, Bible commentator, Plumber, his name, that says that what hold Jesus on the cross were not the nails, but his willingness to save us as his enemies even. So he died for his enemies because he wanted to, to save it. But when it came to the crucial moment, it is finished. I think it had a, uh, it's a broad concept that meant that his struggles with the powers of evil that he faced throughout his life, came to an end. But much more than this, it really meant Christ's triumph over the powers of evil, over Satan. So the plan of salvation was really uh, in place and triumphed. That's the, the, the word of victory of uh, Jesus over the powers of evil. So the, as a sacrifice is was complete, where sin abounded, using the language of Paul, grace was much more overflowed the world with the, uh, the grace of Christ. But remember, 
it was finished as the plan of salvation. And I like very much what Paul says, for instance, in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verses uh, uh, 18 on. He says that God was in Christ reconciling with him the world. But now comes our part. And Paul is begging, please, you should also reconcile yourself with God. So the salvation is available to everybody. But Jesus, his priesthood in the heavenly sanctuary, according to the book of Hebrews and other Bible passages, is the place where Jesus offers salvation for us today. So the payment for, the, the, for sin was complete for God's justice. But it needs to be completed in my life also. And there is a, a reason why Paul says in Hebrews um, uh, 4, verses 14 to 16, that if you are in need, you should go to the throne of grace. Where grace is, is read, a throne of mercy, where grace is uh, available to you. And, uh, but although the hosts of evil receive their sentence of the cro- at the cross, they still exist. And evil is still in our world. They have no right to exist, but they exist. And so God is leading human history to the final triumph. So the death sentence to the hosts of evil is there, but it will be executed at the end of the millennium, according to to, Gen- uh, to the book of uh, Revelation, and uh, you have there uh, chapters uh, 20 and then 21 as well. So we still need to have the ceasing of evil and all the wicked of this world. So the cross really is central to the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation doesn't happen without it. In, in Revelation, there's this picture, and you, you mentioned Revelation just a moment ago, there's this picture of the heavenly host rejoicing in the lamb that was slain. It doesn't sound like anything to rejoice in from a certain perspective, and yet from a different perspective, there's a great deal to rejoice in. Actually, the cross is the greatest contrast of the universe, in my understanding, because the infinite love of God and the selfishness of Satan is the first time that they met face to face. There is no other such a sharp contrast, such a meaningful as the cross. And actually, uh, the question that you could ask is, was the cross an act of God or of Satan? Well, before answering a tricky question, you have first to rephrase the question. Actually, it's not either or. It was the act of God. Because the Bible is clear, saying that God gave his Son for us. So Christ's willingness, he offered himself for us. But at the same time, Satan absorbed him in pain and suffering. And by doing so, he actually declared that was a decree of his own death sentence. So the cross is an action of both of them. That is the victory. 
There was during the Christ ministry a struggle between good and evil. The forces, Jesus actually in his ministry was a continuous struggle against the powers of evil, either in a spiritual sense or even uh, evil using, Satan using human beings. And the most tragic thing in my understanding is that he used even the priesthood at that time. The high priest that was supposed to minister uh, as a representative, as a type of Christ. He was the main one used by, by Satan. And now at this point, Jesus really triumphed. And that was really the cross of Christ is what avoids rebellion to, to come into the universe again because sin is not worthy to be followed or to fall into sin. And so it will be like a vaccine against another rebellion in the universe. And no wonder that the whole hosts of heaven in the book of Revelation, like the angelical beings, the great multitudes, the creatures, and so on, they are rejoicing on the victory that the Lamb was able uh, to, um, to get at the cross. Actually, at the cross... The whole future future of humanity and of the universe was at stake. Had Jesus failed, that that would be the disaster of, uh, uh, of humanity. But praise the Lord, that was not the case. So we cannot speak, we should never speak about if it would not take place because it actually took place and that was a major victory. So looking back, we see that it did take place. We should be grateful that it did. Conceptually, we've got an understanding of what, what took place and its, its ramifications, its meaning to, uh, to what's going on in the world. What about to us personally? What's the significance of the cross to, to me, to you personally? Only at the foot of the cross we can get salvation. God has no alternative plan of salvation only by accepting Christ the sacrifice for us in our place is that we can really have assurance of salvation. No wonder that uh, even Paul in Galatians uh, uh, 6.14 says that I, God forbid that I would boast in anything else except for the cross of Christ uh, where uh, Christ died for me and I died for him, not in the sense of paying anything, but in the sense of dying for this world and living in harmony with God's will. So this is our only assurance in this world and our hope, assurance in the present and hope for the future. Alberto, thank you for helping to unpack this particular week's lesson, He Died for Us, a very significant subject as we're going through uh, this study this quarter on death, dying, and the future hope. Because without the cross, there really is no future hope. But with the cross, there is hope for everybody. The truth is, Jesus died for you. The question is, will you receive his death on your behalf? And I hope that the answer is yes. We're going to be back again next week as we continue looking at this fascinating subject, delving into it more deeply, answering common questions, and getting a clearer picture of Jesus and his plan for your life. We look forward to seeing you again next week on Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. God bless you. We'll see you then.